Now from the Milken Institute, responding to COVID-19, conversations with Mike Milken. For us to have the sustainable portfolio, we have to have the sustainable capital market. And for us to have the sustainable capital market, we need to have a sustainable society. And for us to have a sustainable society, we need to have a sustainable environment, right? So it's all connected. That's Hiro Mizuno. He's the former chief investment officer of Japan's government pension investment fund. GPIF is the largest pension fund in the world with more than $1.5 trillion under management. Mizuno is a strong advocate of ESG investing, which emphasizes sustainable environmental, social, and governance practices. He spoke recently with Milken Institute and Faster Cures chairman Mike Milken. Hero, thank you for joining us today. Mike, thank you very much for inviting me. Well, Hero, when I think about your career and your interest, There are so many similarities between the two of us. We are concerned about the financial leaders of the future and the background that they have. When you took the leadership as the co-chair of the Milken Institute Global Capital Markets, three to 400 organizations with 25 trillion in assets, you being the largest at 1.6 at the Japanese Pension Fund, and setting an agenda focused on ESG. Talk to us a little about how that evolved and how your leadership evolved in that area. Thank you, Mike, for a nice introduction. It's my real honor to join as a special advisor to the Institute. I was just a beneficiary of the Milken Institute five years ago, but now I think I'm more contributing to the Institute. So it's a great transformation. When I become the Chief Investment Officer of the Japanese Government Pension Investment Fund, which had managed $1.65 to $6 trillion, I really struggled that they have the older conventional wisdom of the portfolio management of finance I studied and I learned throughout my career would really help me to fulfill my fiduciary duty or stewardship responsibility. I really kind of disappointed the knowledge I built over the years doesn't seem to be really giving me any good clue or good direction how to do that. So I have to think differently. And I had an opportunity to talk to the PR asset owner, which I met at Milken Global Capital Market Advisory Council, which I ended up co-chairing. And I concluded the... uh, For some reasons, big asset owners, which I define as a universal owner, still operate like a small asset manager compared to the asset manager for their whose performance is more evaluated on how to beat the market. Asset owners have to accept the uh, long-term performance is pretty much determined by the global economy as we own the global capital market. So I need to really change my thinking how we can the, uh, the approach the uh, the whole market, a whole financial system. So that's how I came up with the idea of the ESG integration. So if you can actually have a view of the whole capital market, a whole global economic system, the approach should be different from the asset manager who are competing to outperform the other managers, the asset owner of the GPF sites, and also having a long-term investment horizon, pay attention not only to inside their own portfolio, but the outside of our portfolio, because at the end of the day, over the years, what's happening outside of our portfolio will affect the performance of our portfolio. So that's the thought process I went through. And I just decided to become the, uh, one of the biggest advocates for the ESG in this industry. 
as you were talking to the other asset owners that you were now leading as the co-chair, you're now trying to explain to them that there is social risk, there is governance risk, there is environmental risk, and all of these things affect the portfolio. And if you don't think of the world as a zero-sum game, when collectively this group have $25 trillion, the only way to generate superior rate of returns is to increase the size of the pie or to increase the world's economy. Eventually, I think, succeeded in convincing the people that doing good was good business. And these were risks that were far larger than people thought. Can you think of some of the pushback you got during this period of time? Well, I got a lot of pushback. Everybody used fiduciary duty very casually, but in reality, I even researched in any jurisdiction, there's any clear definition of fiduciary duty, but there's none. And then he actually used the fiduciary duty to, as an our excuse, not to think outside of the box. The financial community has been incredibly difficult community to change their mindset. They actually grew up thinking like their job is to just to make financial return in a considerably short period of time. And also, they have been trained to beat the market or beat the competitors. And I always say like beating the competitor is the way for you to stay in the business. Because the, at the end of the day, the big asset owners' long-term performance, 90% that can be explained by general market, right? So the, although 90% of their effort is focused on how to accumulate alpha, every 10 years, they accumulate alpha swiped away by the you know, market crash. We spend more energy and resource on something makes little difference but we basically pay no attention to something really affect our long-term performance, which is the market beater. So I just need to start the debate whether too much focus on extra return generation is really appropriate. So I started arguing we should pay attention to the quality of the whole capital market system and got the huge pushback from my own industry and my own communities. I always had the other combination of just force them to think and at the same time, we need proving in action, like you did with the non-investment grade bond. You need action and you need to have a concept to change. I stepped down from the GPF CIO role. I just decided to continue this mission, but now I can approach the other from different angles. I'm actually trying to change the business school and I'm associated with changing their curriculum and do a research to support it. And also, I agreed to join the Future Finance Advisory Council of the CFA Institute because that's another professional education body. ESG is probably the hottest topic in the asset management industry, but there's not even a chapter allocated for the uh, the ESG in the CFA curriculum. If we can change it, it will make our industry more aligned with the long-term agenda, which uh, should matter to those young professionals. Sustainability is so important. And then when we get to the discipline of good governance, and I think a lot of the money managers had a difficulty here at the beginning because they might be managing 500 million, a billion, two billion. So they think they can dart in and out of markets. Mm -hmm. But this collective group of our global capital markets that has 25 trillion, there is no darting in and out of markets. (laughs) You are the market. What percent did the Japanese government pension fund you led own of the entire stock markets in the world? 
we probably owned about 8% to 9% of the Japanese equity market and 1% of global equity index. And I came up with this idea of universal ownership. The GPF is universal owner. We own the universe. That's why we have to pay attention not only to what we own, but the whole system or whole capital market universe. I heard even on the panel discussion at the Milken Global Conference, they said, oh, Hiro, you are a universal owner because you own $1.6 trillion, but we only have like a 10 billion, so we are not the universal owner, right? But the other, my counter argument is, as soon as they invest in a global equity index, their risk return profile is exactly the same as GPIF. So in terms of the risk return profile of their portfolio, they're as universal owner as GPIF, regardless of the size. So I always say this to the, even the retail investors, if they invest in a global index, their risk return profile is exactly the same as GPIF risk return profile. It's trying to just bring in more and more people in this thinking, saying we actually collectively own the capital market, regardless of the size, we have to think as a universal owner. So that's the one thing I just wanted to, to emphasize. We cannot segregate our risk return from what's happening to the whole capital market. For us to have the sustainable portfolio, we have to have the sustainable capital market. And for us to have the sustainable capital market, we need to have a sustainable society. And for us to have a sustainable society, we need to have a sustainable environment, right? So it's all connected. Now people believe that ESG is the, yeah, the proper professional practice to brought into their daily portfolio management operations. So I'm really glad to see the progress. We all move together in some degree, and we can't focus on a zero-sum game. We need to focus on growth. To meet the needs of society, we are unfortunately in a very difficult period. It's not World War II physically, but it's World War III against a virus. And the whole planet is affected. Tell us a little bit about how we can create financial markets to protect our society as we know it. And what is a pandemic bond? We are lending this money to the organization on the basis that they will use that capital for a particular purpose. So we tested it with the green bond or social bond when our the GPIF. The green bond is still not the mainstream investment product that's becoming because the, the GPIF's portfolio of a green bond, thanks to our strategic partnership with the MDBs, including World Bank Group, now they place their green bond or social bond directly with the GPF's existing bond managers. The pandemic bond, I think the GPF is the, one of the, the anchor investor in the first Insurance of the COVID-19 response bond issued by African Development Bank. I see the other opportunity that the bond instruments can create more explicit and a clear uh, opportunity for the other investors to actively participate in the solving the program. The people like a GPIF, we won't be able to very adventurous or skip speculative in a way for us to invest in a fixed income, but that's why we use the uh, AAA rated MDBs so that when they issue those kind of like a purpose bond, that our asset managers are incentivized to buy it rather than the uh, general corporate or like a you know, general bond. So this pandemic 
which coincide with action taken by European Union to define clearly what means by the green bond or like a social bond. Green bond, basically, you have to address one particular environmental issues, but they can create a social bond to address all the different types of social issues. And the pandemic is one of those. So I'm actually very, very hopeful that the bond market can be more innovative and creative direct more capital of the other asset owner solving the programs specifically designed for that purpose. Give us an example of what a green bond would be. What would it specifically do? For example, like a World Bank group issued the green bond and they still issue the general bond. Now they label it the SDGs bond because they said everything they do is actually related to the other solving the SDGs. But um, the green bond is basically the bond that the investor they give money to the other issuers on the agreement that the issuer uses that the fund into the green project, right? It's very difficult for the investor to really guide that issuer to do a capital allocation to those like a green project, right? So this is the green bond is an instrument that the investors know and can, can invest and they the benefit from same risk return from the issuer, but at the same time, we have a confidence that the issuer will direct that capital or fund into a green project. So some investor may take that the green impact, the green project into their risk return analysis. For the investors like a GPF who are under the stringent fiduciary requirement to satisfy, we can at least say like we are not compromising risk on return because this is the exactly the same risk on return we are getting from like a World Bank group or MDBs or like what we pre-rated. But we are sure that they are not going to use that the capital for non-green projects. So this is kind of like also the fiduciary agreement between investor and issuer. I really appreciate that some people come up with that kind of innovation. I first visited Japan in the early 1970s and We were focused on business in Japan. I was focused on the culture. And I noticed a building where the lobby was 30 feet above the ground. And I was so interested in why they were doing that. And they told me, long term, the water might rise. Mm -hmm. They were preparing for a thousand years, not 20 years. That event is so vivid in my mind when we talk about green bonds or the environment, because so many places in the world today, rising seas and other things jeopardize their environment as they know it. I'd like to switch, if I could, to another element that you took leadership in. Not only the focus on this concept of universal increasing the size of the pie we will all benefit, but long-term investing. Talk about the pushback you had and making sure you're supporting management teams that are long-term oriented, not short-term oriented. I always think long-term is easy to say, but it's very difficult to implement. And I really analyze how they invest. They are totally overweight, like a short-term performance. So I need to challenge how you accommodate that the, uh, the discrepancy. And one of the approach I came up with was they probably need to trade reacting to what's happening in the market because their mandate is to beat the market, I mean, to beat the benchmark. But on the other hand, I just came to realize asset managers could become the long-term active owner 
They basically have two tools that affect the corporate executive. One is by training and changing pricing. And then the other is how to engage with the company and how to do a proxy voting. So the second aspect of the how they can affect the business, we actually thought this is actually more effective and it can be detached from their trading activities to some extent. So we became the biggest advocate that the passive managers who don't need to beat the market, who don't need to trade daily, they should be the one to actually play more role as an active owner and engage with the corporate executive from the long-term, you know, long-termism, right? So active manager, I understand. Sometimes they have to trade because they, have to, they cannot afford to lose to the market. But the passive manager, they don't need to worry about the relative performance. So their focus should be on how to support the corporate executive who try to implement the long-term the strategy. This is a great opportunity. The environment is kind of easy, but particularly social factors uh, a lot of corporate executives now bring in the strategy, which they probably wouldn't have in the past. Like the Salesforce, Mark Benioff, he actually pledged no layoff very early days of this pandemic. And the Japanese airline decided to refund all non-refundable tickets to support the other community or like their customers in the trouble. So these kind of things, how the, the investor will react it's going to become more apparent in this pandemic. And I always trying to see whether ESG investor will really walk the talk by supporting what you just mentioned, like those corporate executives who are trying to bring in sustainability or like ESG factors in their the business strategy. So as you've left the government pension fund after five years, it was revolutionary when they announced that they're going to sell Japanese government bonds back to their government, the Federal Reserve, and take the money and invest in equities around the world. In the United States, if we look at our social security funds, they're all invested in U.S. governments. And so Japanese government debt yielding zero meant you're invested at a zero rate of return. And part of the growth strategy and the market strategy led by your prime minister, Abe, it was revolutionary. But this is not something you find. The idea that the pension fund would not own just Japanese government bonds yielding zero, but could invest throughout the world. Take us back to the dynamics of that decision. First of all, Abe administration wanted to re-energize the Japanese economy by, first of all, getting rid of deflation and also the redirecting capital into the equity to promote the growth. They just wanted to direct more capital in the risk assets and to promote the economy. So that's actually one catalyst for that change. But the other catalyst for that change is that now there's a growing awareness among Japanese general public saying we are entering into the aging society and our pension scheme, which is basically like the same as the U.S. pay-as-you-go mechanism. So younger generations pays the pension benefit of retired generation, right? So for that system to continue to work or remain sustainable, we need to have the younger generation for the aging society. But in reality, we are having less and less younger generation. Yeah, the burden on them is growing. So we just need to make sure that we make the better use of the already saved funds to reduce the burden on the young future generation. And I'm sure that the U.S. will face that issue sooner than later. But we just cannot depend on the younger generation to support us. My vision that the 
public pension funds investment equity is a one effective way to reduce this gap because this is a very effective way for the ordinary people to participate in a capital return. So that's actually the additional factors I had, I mean, uh, for me to really persuade myself to this, this role, because this is the way to reduce inequity in a wealth, that before the ordinary people can participate into the economic growth and the benefit from the very low fees which the other GPF can enjoy compared to the retail investors. There are a lot of factors, including my own the other belief in that this is the something we should do to prevent the ever-widening like wealth inequality. inequity. That's a big decision, but I think we kind of navigated well. And I believe that all the big public pension scheme in the world should think the same thing. When you left the government pension fund, I said to myself, okay, what company in the world would Hero most likely be recruited to go on the board of directors? Then I get to read on the tape that you've gone on the board of Tesla. Tell us about that decision that you made. I received the, uh, the handful offers to you know, the, uh, join the corporate board. I just want to use my expertise to promote a sustainable investment, a long-term investment. We need to shift today's economy into more sustainable business model. Tesla definitely fits into that category. Tesla would hold the key to turn the auto industry into sustainable business models. And I can imagine the, uh, the sort of uh, chain of reaction if the automakers change it to the uh, electric vehicle. You know, the older supply has to react to it. That, that's the kind of the other thinking I have. It surprised me in many ways that Japan wasn't the leader in the electric car or in what we might call alternative or renewable energy today. I am sure that in your meetings, we're nudging as the largest stockholder of companies in Japan them to think about these issues. Do you see the ability for Japan to catch up and change uh, and become a leader in these areas in the future? That's a question I have been asking for the last five years. And uh, with respect to the auto industry, uh, I saw some silver lining that the, uh, the Toyota now claim themselves as the mobility company than the uh, auto manufacturers. And uh, Nissan finally introduced the new like, SUVs. But I totally agree with you. Yeah, they actually suffered from earlier success with the hybrid. Now they really have to shift. And they get us that wake-up call. And uh, my serving on a Tesla board create a more awareness in Japan. Hiro, I want to thank you for joining us today. Not everybody understands when you're a trailblazer, you take a lot of arrows in the chest as well as the back. But I think the wake-up call that we've received over the last few years, whether the free enterprise system or capitalism can meet the needs of our society, long before COVID-19 or the issues regarding racism and equality being raised. And we look forward to seeing what we can do together. Thank you for joining us. And I cherish our friendship here. Well, thank you very much. I'm really glad that the, I will be able to contribute to Milk and Institute. And I cannot stress enough that I really benefited from the wealth of your knowledge and the wealth of the other uh, Milk and community at the beginning of my endeavor at the GPIF, and I'm hoping to become more of a contributor to the Balkan community and a broader business community in my new role. 
Find more episodes on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or milkeninstitute.org slash podcast, where you'll also find the latest COVID-19 updates. Until next time, stay safe and healthy.